Welcome to Machine Learning. So, just took a, some analysis and uh, grabbed a, um, a, uh, some data on liver disease and uh, was looking at it. Um, and it was interesting because <clears throat> they had uh, like 400 and some samples, 480 samples of individuals with liver disease and, and, uh, and uh, about 160 that were healthy. And then we, they did a comparison. So what I did is I put it inside of some uh, scatter plots and started looking at the coefficients uh, ALB, uh, SGOT, SGPT, uh, TP, which is total proteins. And so just comparing to see what, you know, what the, uh, what it, the behavior looked like with the enzymes in these proteins for individuals with liver disease. And what I noticed right off when I looked at it is, uh, like if you look at the total proteins and the ALM or ALB is that, uh, there was a lot of variance, uh, between, uh, people that were healthy versus people who are sick and so with liver disease and uh, what it looked like is the individuals with liver disease there was a lot more uh, less variance in terms of, uh, of the, the way the data was distributing and so I noticed that right off and then I compared the SGOT SGPT between healthy and not healthy. And there was some significant results there. Uh, uh, that the, the graph for those who are sick was very high in terms of its readings and, and like uh, maybe hundreds of times higher uh, in some cases than some, someone who was sick. So there, you could see the, the sharp contrast. And then I just started comparing different combinations of features. Now, what I'm going to do next is probably run it through a linear, general linear model like I was talking to you about and uh, do a, a, a maybe look at a Gaussian trend. So the, the thing I want to do, first of all, is look at, uh, there was one between male and female. Well, well I want to see if the liver disease is higher in male than in female. And uh, also, that could be due to occupation hazards or, you know, exposure to different types of things that could cause liver disease. So there, there might be some demographics there, and I can just, uh, you know, put that into my general linear model uh, and then run my logit function and my binomial family classifier and then get an idea of how well it's, uh, if there is a, a difference between male and female on the, on the outcome. And then also then, um, I always want to take a look and see, uh, what the, what, where the probability of having liver disease occurs on these different features. So analyze each of the features and watch the probability acceleration. So we we'll want to see where, in what range is this really starting to accelerate where probability is increasing 
based on certain features. And then that tells you then where your risk zones are. Um, and you can apply that to money or you should be able to apply that to uh, things where in a certain target zone that you want to watch. And that becomes the area where things are highly probable or accelerating probability, the odds are increasing that that, that target event will occur. So they will find what that band is. And, uh, and then I want to go see if the experts agree that that, you know, if you have an elevated... Uh, let's say SGOT or SGPT level or ALMB level that's at a certain threshold if they would consider you then as uh, a candidate for liver disease. Um, so that's a, it was an interesting study. This one is data that's pulled out of India and it was a, just a website where uh, from UCI their data repository there and I think it was in 2012 or so that they posted it and so you, you know it's a simple it's a simple classification problem uh, but yet I want to see how well the linear model does at extracting out uh, the information I'll find out if there's anything that any of the features that are collinear <clears throat> find out if there's over dispersion in the data, under dispersion, how good my fit is, um, and uh, and then uh, measure my uh, probabilities. So <clears throat> it is a multi-regression problem, and then I w want to look to see. <clears throat> I could probably do some hyperparameter tuning using a pipeline, logistic regression, uh, standardizing, and I can do that also in the linear general linear model. I can I can use MP uh, standard, and that'll standardize uh, all my data to the standard deviation on the data, and it doesn't have any categorical data. So I don't need to worry about uh, doing one-hot encoding. But maybe if I can find out what these ranges are <clears throat> in terms of risk, <clears throat> I could uh, I could then uh, uh, inject uh, some categorical data. And from that categorical data, those rules that are associated with that categorical data, maybe that will allow me then to segment the data and, and, uh, and then find behaviors within those different categorical ranges. And we saw that with linear, general linear model that we could, uh, we could do, uh, we could catch a, a particular feature or a particular group. So let's say you had five groups that you could grab one of the feature groups and uh, do the comparisons against that feature group. And uh, that, that would then uh, uh, allow you then to understand what were the, the, how the different categorical groups are impacting the odds. So that's what this uh, all boils down to is what are your odds? What are your odds of 
having liver cancer, what type of things contribute to that uh, outcome. You know, just say you could make the same argument for uh, lung cancer. Do cigarettes cause lung cancer? Or, well, they may not cause lung cancers. There might be individuals who smoke every day and do not get lung, lung cancer. However, you might make the argument that based on frequency of individuals who smoke and get lung cancer, that there are there is an increased odd of your getting that lung cancer uh, if you smoke. And so that could be uh, <clears throat> that could be something that you could draw that correlation because odds and probability are interrelated. Well, I want to talk about another subject that's uh, kind of on my mind, which is um, the impact of artificial intelligence, automation, robotics on the uh, world of, uh, of uh, work. And uh, I was reading this article by McKinsey Group, and they, they were talking about the number of different jobs that could be automated and uh, that are require some level of manual intervention, decision making, uh, processing. And because our world has largely become digital, meaning that, uh, you know, we, we do a lot of our work digitally, uh, we make decisions from digital data, that uh, a, a, a growing percentage of the, our work uh, can be automated if we can automate the digital portions of it. Um, so a classic example we'd like to pick on, I guess, would be, uh, you know, warehousing, you know, go, uh, getting, retrieving the box, uh, labeling it, preparing it for shipping, assembling it for shipping, and then loading it onto the semi. Well, now you have a lot of, of uh robotic systems that can be used now for extracting the products, placing the products, assembling the products, and preparing them for assembly. So that then you uh, you have to have someone that can run, the engineer that can run the software, that can, uh, you know, fix the hardware when there are malfunctions. But largely, these routines are fairly programmable. And... <clears throat> meaning that they, they can be automated. They have a repetitious cycle to them, and the variation on it is within a, a catalog range of options. So, you know, if the, the so the, the point was is that uh, automation is going to start displacing lots of jobs. <clears throat> Just like there, you know, there was a general fear that uh, computers would, would uh, replace people's jobs, which they never did. Uh, computers enhance people's jobs. They change their definition, usually led to higher skilled labor and uh, more, uh, mo uh, more uh, processing power. So, uh, uh, you know, a, a good example of, of how computers change things is in the area of accounting. Uh, used to be that you'd have to, you know, process your ledgers, you know, you'd have to write down each transaction, each invoice, how to be, 
accounted for, then you had to type it in, uh, Ted key it into a calculator, double check your math, um, and you know, and then there was lots of uh, books that were being processed, and so counting was all done on paper. Well, computers came along and they realized that they could do a lot of the manual processes through automation. So slowly over time, uh, different companies began to create uh, electronic versions of accounting systems and that, that moved the data from paper into uh, digital form and began to process it on computers. And so now all the jobs that were required for uh, writing uh, numbers in, calculating, checking, were now uh, turned over to the enterprise relational uh, or ERP system, mainframe system. So a lot of people, they, they change jobs. <clears throat> so maybe instead of now being a, uh, a data transcriber, they actually they went and got a degree in accounting and they they became an auditor or they became a controller or a comptroller or financial analyst or <clears throat> they they did some element uh, related to finance that uh, involves some uh, analytical skills and capabilities to work with machines. So then there. You look at like even with computers, computers have changed quite a bit. There used to be people that loaded in card reader uh, cards for the programs, <coughs> fed them into car, uh, card readers. Uh, then you used to have tape drive operators. They would uh, load programs uh, into the computer memory from tape and they would run the program and then they would uh, remove the tape and, and store the tape. Uh, they, were, they would run backups and so forth. Now you have a lot of that uh, <clears throat> capability has now been moved to the cloud and uh, automated systems do the backup and run the programs. And you have schedule programs like uh, even in Python, we have Airflow and uh, that can run, <clears throat> can run process jobs. Uh, it can run it in parallel, can take advantage of multiple cores, and uh, and so, you know, it's doing a lot of work that uh, in the past would have uh, maybe involved a manual intervention, a human in the loop. So what they're saying is that uh, automation is going to change things in the next 10 years, and it will change things in a big way. Companies will move rapidly to implementing more automation, more e-commerce, uh, more digital transactions, and move quicker to digital uh, exchanges. And as a result of that level of automation, there'll be a lot of people that will lose jobs, but at the same time, there's gonna be this huge number of people that are gonna be reskilling into analysis jobs someone that can analyze what the machines are doing. Uh, they, can, they can work statistics, they can see uh, anomalies, and they can, they can learn how to look for what's weird. And they can program the machines to uh, create better algorithms. So you're gonna have good algorithms that are doing the work, and then there's gonna be analysts that come along with uh, 
uh, convincing arguments, mathematical arguments, mathematical proofs, new software that's going to uh, displace even the existing uh, automation. So there'll be automation that's displacing automation. But uh, it's, as you look at that trend towards AI, and I know that, that there's been things like people have been kind of scared about it, but you look at it, it means that uh, it will be more challenging to uh, earn a paycheck. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, uh, it will be more brain work. And so you'll have uh, to do a lot more training, and, you know, there'll be places like Datacamp, Corsica, you know, different universities. YouTube uh, is putting out a tremendous amount of machine learning uh, content. <clears throat> but people are, are getting overwhelmed with the content. I mean, even on Datacamp, there's 300 and some 60 courses. You know, I've taken, I think, 54 courses. And, you know, you look at... Uh, if, if you have to take, uh, uh, you know, if you had to take 300 courses to get a job, yeah, that's going to be, you know, two years of, of, uh, of study and practice to, uh, you know, to qualify for that job. And, uh, um, and so what I think is going to happen is I think that there will be more people that will uh, be looking for ways to accelerate their their knowledge in uh, uh, data science and um, and receive guidance, you know, uh, what companies want, and trying to understand, you know, how what their their vocation will be uh, in the future. Because you know, today they may be uh, a CNC uh, fabricator. But in the future, they might be a digital designer, and they might be working in uh, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, to build designs. And so they'll have to have some level of architecture experience, maybe have some background in calculus, and then uh, be able to work with the AI to build uh, 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 build parts or or, uh, or fabricate different uh, pieces of equipment through 3D printing. <clears throat> 